have college football in the books. Time to turn the page, move on to week four. It's the College Football News Podcast. As always, I'm Nick Shepkowski alongside Pete Futek. Coming up on this edition of the College Football News Podcast, we'll talk to Brian Driscoll. You might remember him from one of our preview episodes this summer. He covers Notre Dame for Blue Gold Illustrated. Get inside his mind, see how he sees this game of the week going in Athens, Georgia. Number seven, Notre Dame traveling to take on number three, Georgia. And the Power Five this week, a little bit different. The five most underappreciated teams in college football. Pete and I will debate who belongs on that list coming up before the end of the program. And plenty of huge games in week four to preview as well. Pete, your takeaways from week three, there's something you got to spike the ball on, man. It's not about spiking the ball. It's just sort of pointing it's, it's out. right, because you hate being right about something. I, I know. hate being right. I, actually, I love Mark D'Antonio. I, I like him as a coach. He's a good dude. I've uh, hung out and broken bread with the man. He's a good guy. But if Jim Harbaugh had done what happened at the end of that Michigan State Arizona State game, with uh, if a Jim Harbaugh team had 12 men on the field, it would be epic. It would be historic. It would never be forgotten. And East and Michigan State fans, Big Ten fans, would never let Harbaugh hear the end of it. But because D'Antonio's a made man, it was just like, eh, okay, pencils have erasers. But that was an all-timer gaffe. So what do you actually take away from week three then? Because there was that. I, I was very high on Michigan State. I thought their offense would and take still a should step. Be. You're still you're fine. Arizona State's got a defense. You're fine. They have a defense, but put up something more than seven. My God. That, that ASUD is the truth. They, they're, they've stuffed – I mean, fair. I don't play anybody, but they've stuffed everything so far. So I, I wouldn't d- ditch off that yet. If We know about Michigan State t- this week against Northwestern. Northwestern should get throttled. If Michigan State beats up Northwestern, they're back on the path and everything's fine. Do you think that actually happened? I guess we can touch on that a little bit. We'll pick it, pick that game apart in a little bit because I don't necessarily see it so much that way. What else from week three? Oklahoma rolls over UCLA. Chip Kelly, you can't even uh, – you can't pick a favorite of wins so far this year because he's got none. Ohio State rolls over Indiana. I thought the Hoosiers would make that game. I could not have been more wrong. What are the other takeaways? Big Ten well, the, as a whole, not that great, despite been, the Iowa it's, win? It's been what we've been talking about all year, where you have six teams. You have Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU, and Oklahoma. And those six are just destroying everything in their path. And then there is a stop. And then, okay, we'll see what happens this week with Notre Dame when they play Georgia. We'll see what happens with Wisconsin. But really, there's those six teams that are just murdering everybody. And then there's everyone else. And the other takeaway was, this was just, I can never remember a more unpredictably weird week. Where the hell did that come from with Kansas doing that against a good Boston College team on the world? Where did that come from from West Virginia, who did nothing over the first two games, and then just goes out there and just throttles North Carolina? Carolina State and Maryland after what you did to Syracuse to what are you doing what was that they the offense that's why college coaches need to get paid what they get paid the offense worked the plays were there 
and the execution was miserable in that game, especially around the goal line. Josh Jackson was bad. That was This was one of the weirdest weeks I can ever remember outside of the top six teams. And as you requested, I went back and deleted everything nice you had to say about Lovey Smith as well after Oof. whatever the hell that was you don't against Eastern, Eastern Michigan. Michigan. That's, that, that, that's their one. You don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Not recommended. Not whatsoever. Coming up, we're going to talk to Brian Driscoll from Blue Gold Illustrated. There's several good he likes Notre week. Dame, doesn't he? He does he's, like Notre he, Dame. He, he's pretty Notre Dame-centric. And, and But no better week to have him on than to talk about Notre Dame and Georgia, the battle of top 10 teams and what a win for Notre Dame would be. Hell, even what being competitive in this game might mean for the Fighting Irish. So that's still to come here. Our Power 5 is always to get to at the end of the show tonight. Who aren't we appreciating as much as we probably should be three weeks into the college football season? We'll dive into that a little bit to come. But games of the week coming up next with us, Pete Futek and Nick Shepkowski on the College Football News Podcast. Do you like to have a little action on the games you're watching? Would you rather donate to a great cause, though, than to your bookie? If so, check out scoresplit.com. At Scoresplit, you can join a square pool or strip card for whatever game you're going to be watching, and it's all going to benefit your favorite local nonprofit group as well. Here's how it works. You simply pick a square. You've all done squares for football games before. And if the score matches up, you split the pot with the thankful organization. It's as easy as that. Last week, I signed up for this, had a game going, and we benefited a great cause, Fetching Tales Foundation, where I rescued my guy Ned from. Ned the Rescue Dog, he came from Fetching Tales, and they got some money off the game that I started last week. Here's the best part. You sign up at ScoreSplit using promo code CFN. They set you up with $10 to get the fun started. It's as simple as that. Visit scoresplit.com or download the ScoreSplit app from the App Store or Google Play today. ScoreSplit, you can't win if you don't play. Promo code CFN. Week four upon us, finally. Yeah. College football-wise, week three, we survived it. It was a weird week that we just it was discussed. Fun. That was fun. It was entertaining, but enough. Those, that was the appetizer. Now let's get to the yeah. main course of these games. When, when game day's showing up in Ames, Iowa, God bless the people <laughs> of Ames, Iowa, and Iowa State and Iowa both, and I saw the great story of them raising over $30,000 for the University of Iowa Children's Hospital with the, uh, with the Natty Light or the Bush Light sign that the guy was holding. But let's get on to big boy college football. Absolutely. This week, um, I'm going to make you actually wait on that. I say let's get big boy football. I do want to ask you about one game. Go. Florida State-Louisville. If Louisville comes in and beats Florida State this week after whatever Florida State did in the last five minutes last week against Virginia, does that $17 million buyout of Willie Taggart all of a sudden look uh, affordable in Tallahassee. It's Owen State. We're only like two years away from this being the show-stopping game of the world where Lamar Jackson basically put up won the a Heisman. 66 spot. Yes. Yeah, that that was big stuff. I, I'm still I, I'm crazy. I know. I still kind of think there's something there with Florida State. Their their defense is miserable. They're not stopping anybody. But James Blackman's having a great year. Cam Akers is having a, f- a great year. They're just not winning college football games, and you got to do that kind for of Florida a State. Problem when you're Florida State, you've kind of been built on that the last thirty years or forty years or so. Yeah, it's very much not okay. So it, there's hope. They are playing better, but they just cannot put together a full sixty minutes. 
Other games this week, one that I'm interested in, maybe not because it's going to be the prettiest of affairs, but uh, because the number 39.5 is the total that I've seen listed on this game, and you can cut it in half, and I still think I'm taking the under. Michigan State traveling to Northwestern in Evanston this week on the Big Ten table. Yeah, this is one of those games where we're going to see what these two programs are really about because Northwestern's done this before, where they've stunk at the very beginning, they look lousy, and you think, okay, well, Northwestern's awful, and then they go win, like, the Big Ten West or something, and they go off and do something massive in a bowl game. But they've been bad. I mean, that Stanford, as it turns out, Stanford's awful. Maybe, maybe that was one of those games where they just punched each other so hard that both teams are never going to be the same again. But Stanford's been bad ever since. And Michigan State, where's your offense at? I love the Arizona State defense, uh, but man, you got to start scoring. And this is one of those games where if we're going to really start talking about Michigan State in the Big Ten East, they got to win this game easily. I know he played in a couple games last year, but he had his coming out party this past week. When I see Drake Anderson, the son of Damian Anderson, putting right. up 130 yards in a game, I remember watching Damian Anderson Don't start. in high school. It, it gets worse. It's, oh it, my it gets God. worse. Yes. It's it, it just. Gets, it, yeah. You don't oh, want to start. Goodness it's, gracious. It's Damian Anderson's kid? God, I'm getting old. Yeah, you're getting old. Other fun ones this week. We'll stay in the Big Ten as we uh, cover this one. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. To me, this Wisconsin team haven't played a whole lot of much to anything yet, but they've done exactly what they're supposed to do. They've outscored a hun- opponents 100 to nothing so far this year. And Michigan, yes, they've survived and advanced, but, God, they've not looked pretty doing so. And Wisconsin has been perfect. I mean, yes, you're right. Being South Florida, no big whoop. Beating Central Michigan, no big whoop. Except they haven't allowed a point yet. They are number one in the nation, I believe, in like third down conversions, third down defense, time of possession, turnover margin. They're number one in the country in like 10 different categories. And that's what you want to see. You want to see them coming out razor sharp. And let's see if it continues. Let's see if they can hold up. I mean, Michigan, again, I, I their defense is actually great against Darby. Their offense was not. So the Wisconsin D already way too banged up. This is going to be a fun game. I think Wisconsin pulls this one off. Uh, and if that happens, it's already saying, well, Jim Harbaugh needs to be fired, which is ridiculous. But uh, I do think this is going to be a Wisconsin win. Oh, my God. Fire the alarms. Fire the sirens. Mr. Michigan himself, Pete Futek. He's been all over the Wolverines all, all preseason long, and you're coming to your wits. Michigan going to go down in Madison. You know what? I, I think that this is one of those that Michigan has their coming out party. I'm not buying Maybe. Wisconsin because of the opponents that they've played. And I think Michigan rises to the occasion. I think that this is just one of those that they got off to a rough start, and I'm still not buying Michigan for the year, but I'm buying them this week at least, and that's probably going to be uh, some famous last words from you when we check back on this in a week or so. They're both they're both fine. I, I think I'm not going to be shocked either way. But I, again, I'm blowing off the Army game because it was Army, and that's just weird. And Army does Jedi mind tricks on teams. Other games this week to keep an eye on: Texas, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State unranked, but has turned some heads so far this year. In Texas, their offense looks as real as real gets. How's this one going to play out? No team has a defense. And we've we've had this before. A couple years ago, we thought it was going to be a shootout. It turned out to be something crazy like 14 to 10. That's not going to be this. I, I will be absolutely floored if this is anything other than 40-ish to 40-ish. Uh, Texas's secondary cannot tackle. Oklahoma State cannot tackle. And both offenses are amazing. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, I know it's going to be Sky Point, T. Boone Pickens time for Oklahoma State, but Texas pulls us off. 
Yeah, T. Boone's Pickens. That's an obituary you have to seek out and read if you haven't, by the way. Learned a lot about that man when I was sitting by the lake a couple of weeks or a and we have to. So we're going to do a special episode, by the way, where we're going to have to talk about all these new rules that are kind of coming into place with the p- players being able to p- profit off their likenesses because that's where the T. Boone Pickens is of the world and Phil Knight at Oregon, for example. That's a whole segment. That's going to be a whole podcast. We're going to have to do a special one. On. Yeah, I, one of the first things that came to my mind was when T. Boone Pickens died, outside of Phil Knight, who's the most famous booster in college football now we'll save that for a episode in the days and the weeks to come wow. other games this week Matthew Auburn, McConaughey that's not a bad one does he count as a booster or is he an actual Texas he's a minister he's an actual Texas employee now isn't he isn't he yeah, teaching classes or, fun or something exactly oh my goodness I, I, I have a respect for Texas football but Matthew McConaughey oh god he just it's commercials. And it's <laughs> we'll get you back. We'll get, we'll get, I'm sorry. Back on the rails. Dazed and Confused go. was a long time ago, Matthew. Uh, Auburn and Texas A&M. Auburn, a big win already this year against Oregon in the opening week. Texas A&M looked disastrous against Clemson. Must win for the Aggies to avoid this season kind of going south in a hurry. And uh, Gus Melzahn, kind of the same thing for him. Well, I automatically abandoned my whole off-season belief system with Michigan. I'm not going to do that with Texas A&M. Auburn had two minutes. They played two good minutes against Oregon, and that's basically been it. I'm still not buying it. Bo Nix versus Kellen Mond. You got the freshman versus the veteran. Uh, I, I'm still buying into Texas A&M, even though they decided not to get off the bus against Clemson. Uh, this is where the Aggies start to show it a little bit. And if they don't, it's big trouble, not just for AM, but it's big trouble for the Clemson resume because if AM loses like three more games, Clemson's going to go to the ACC championship game without a win over a team that's going to be ranked in November. It, by November. It's going to be a crazy bad look for Clemson's schedule if Texas A&M starts to suck. Sure, but it, it, so they're seeded third instead of seeded first. It's still going to be there there's no way an undefeated Clemson team's not oh, going to play. Oh, not a chance they get left out. But if you're a UCF and you're like, "Wait a minute here. You've dogged you us the better last two wins years for our than, schedule. Yeah. What's this?" You'll have better wins than Clemson has, but they'll have the resume for the last few years before that to, uh, yeah, didn't exist. to kind of yeah, hold yeah, up. Last year did not exist, 44-16. This is a right. whole new year. You uh-huh. can't dull yeah. philosophical. Okay, right. Yeah, it didn't exist whatsoever. In the marquee matchup of this week, game day is going to be there. Heck, CBS, SEC on CBS came out and said, you know what? Alabama and LSU, you're nice, but we're not putting you in prime time because this game's happening this year. Notre Dame and Georgia, number seven. If it was Alabama three. versus LSU, that would be the prime time game. If it was this week, is what you're saying. Yes. 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 But it's a few I'm weeks joking. off and this, that, and the other thing. Hey, how do you even start to handicap this thing? It's Georgia seems like they're damn near that tier of Clemson and Alabama to me. I don't feel as good about Notre Dame being in that conversation. But under Brian Kelly, really outside of that Miami game in 2017, Notre Dame's gone on the road, and they've played a couple of these big dogs really damn close and almost walked out of victories. And lost. You're right. But a 14-point spread, how do you kind of see this one initially, Georgia-Notre Dame? Yeah, I know our our upcoming guest is going to disagree with me wildly on this. Georgia wins. They're just better. Their lines are better. What does Notre Dame have? I mean, 
their lines are pretty good. Their secondary, I think, is going to do a great job against the Georgia uh, receiving core that hasn't really been pushed or tested yet. Uh, I just don't see how Georgia would – they might have the best offensive line in the country. I think they just kind of surgically win this. I don't think it's going to be anything amazing or impressive where we're coming out saying, wow, Georgia's the number one team in the country maybe. Notre Dame's good enough. This is going to be a tough Notre Dame defensive performance. I think they stick within the 14 points here, uh, but I don't see there being a whole lot of drama for Georgia. I'm taking Georgia, but I'm taking Notre Dame in the points. Okay, taking Notre Dame in the points. I, I, to me, watching this Notre Dame team, and I mean, if you're not familiar with my work, I also do a Notre Dame pregame podcast for Radio.com, so it's a team I follow pretty closely. Where Georgia's extremely strong, I see weaknesses on this Notre Dame squad. I, defensive line-wise, Notre Dame has maybe th- as good of pass rusher combination, pass rushing end combination as there is in the country. But up the middle, they look young. They look inexperienced. And that's where this Georgia team can just destroy you. And I don't want to say, I don't want to go as far as saying the Notre Dame's going to get destroyed there, but I'm very curious how they're going to match up there and how they're going to kind of offset that because it has the ability to kind of get out of hand if Notre Dame doesn't get very creative in their defensive game plan. Uh, I'm an elitist. You know this. Then that's why with the top six teams, they're the teams with the dudes and the teams without the dudes. Notre Dame could get to the college football playoff. Not a chance they win two games in that thing and win it. Why? They don't have the dudes. Georgia's got them. I mean, Georgia's got the NFL talent across the board. They've got an NFL top 10 overall draft pick guy and Jake Fromm. That's not Ian Book. You've got the NFL running backs. Again, their line the lines are unbelievably good. Uh, again, I think Notre Dame keeps this tight. I do think that they're going to be good enough to hang in like you alluded to. They do generally under Brian Kelly play these big games really, really tough and then lose. It's what it's been so far. It's the Oklahoma game in 2012 is really the exception. Otherwise, going on the road, it's a lot of a lot of the resume that you look at at Notre Dame at the end of the year in this college football playoff conversations. Oh, their best their best thing on their resume is a close loss at Clemson, a close loss to Georgia, a close sometimes loss to which Florida sometimes State. Might- if if that if Georgia goes on to go you know 13 and 0, then that's fine. Then that works for for Notre Dame. I'll buy that. Other than that, you gotta win this game if you're Notre Dame. If you look at the rest of their resume, they do gotta go to Michigan, Stanford, eh, USC. Eh. I know Virginia is really good, but it's Virginia. This is it. This is your this is your game. Where if you win this, you're not. Then all of a sudden, now we're putting Notre Dame into that top six in terms of teams that can be right there. Again, I don't even if they beat Georgia, I, I'm not gonna buy that Notre Dame can win two games in the college football playoff. But all of a sudden, they're right there to get in this thing again. Yeah, they show they can win in Athens. I think they can beat anybody anywhere. It's about as tough a road matchup as they you're gonna fight. It can't be Clemson. Yeah. No chance. All right. I no mean, if you, if you can go to Athens no, and win, no. that is. We've I think Georgia's. This, I think Georgia's closer to those two than you're giving them credit for. There, we've Pete. seen how this plays out. Bad things happen when Notre Dame goes to a playoff or BCS championship. Okay. Just, it, 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 no. Program's but, uh, in better state than it was in 2012. There, Pete. That's what still I'll in tell Indiana, you. isn't it? Well, okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. I'm sorry, yes. But the I'm literal sh- state. You're fine. You win I'm, that. I'm you sorry. Smart I'm, ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our next guest will tell us. Or, he'll 
put me right. He'll 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 be on on Notre Dame. He'll tell us why they're going to win the national championship. Yeah, we'll get to Brian Driscoll in just a minute. Coming up as well, the five most underappreciated teams. It'll be our Power Five this week. What have we learned three weeks into this college football season, and who's not getting the credit that deserves it? We'll get to that in our weekly episode or weekly edition of the Power Five. But as Pete uh, Pete mentioned there. Brian Driscoll works for Blue Gold Illustrated, covers Notre Dame there, covers them very well, knows as much about that team as anyone we could bring on to discuss them, and he's kind enough to join us on the College Football News Podcast. Brian, thanks for your time. Hey, I'm just breaking out some film, man. You guys know that. That's what I'm going to be doing up until uh, about kickoff. That's what, so what are you seeing? What's what's going on on the film? What are, you, what are you finding on the film that we all need to know about? I mean, Georgia is what they are. You know, they're they're a, a really well-coached team. They're very sound in what they do. They're not very complicated, and they just rely on having better players than just about everybody else they play against. But they're, they're a physical, well-coached football team. So what's the one big advantage that you're seeing, or is there an advantage that Notre Dame's going to have in this over the Bulldogs? You know, I think one thing that Notre Dame has an advantage in is, is, is the pass game. I think that Georgia's got a talented secondary, but it's a very young group of cornerbacks and I think that Notre Dame has a chance with Chase Claypool on the outside if Javon McKinley can keep playing well Lawrence Keith I think they can make some plays in the pass game I think getting Cole Komet back this weekend is going to be big in that regard so I think Notre Dame should be able to throw the ball if they can protect and up to this point in time Georgia has not really shown a an elite pass rush so you know I think unless the offensive line can you know regresses I think they should be able to protect them enough to make some plays and you know Georgia has a big physical punishing offensive line but you break down the film and you watch the Vanderbilt game you watch the Murray State game teams that have really quick linemen and do quick line games can give them some problems and that's one thing that Notre Dame has is a very athletic front four so I think there's some things Notre Dame can do to be successful in this game but it's just one of those games where their margin for error is going to be incredibly thin yeah I, I see it and up the middle Notre Dame's had issues whether it's the offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball they at, at times in that Louisville game interior linebackers very much looked their age uh, offensive line wise it's like all right if it's first and 10 you're running the ball can count on eight yards but it's getting those extra two yards on second and third down that's been an issue how does that kind of stack up against what George is showing I think a lot of what's been going on with them in third down has not actually been an offensive line problem. No, look, they haven't been great in those situations, and I talked in our podcast this week about how they need to fire off the ball with more force and more intensity, but a big part of the problem has been the decision-making at quarterback. You know, you, you look at the two opponents they've played, they've basically said you're not going to run the ball on third and two. They run stunt, they load the box. If Notre Dame shows any kind of you know counter, any kind of line movement, they fly to that. And there's been openings. There's pull it and throw it, pull it and run, whatever the case may be. You know, I think you look at the Notre Dame-New Mexico game, the first third and two of the game, if Ian Book pulls it, he's got a lead blocker in front of him, and he's got Chase Claypool about four yards past a cornerback who had slipped to throw it. So either option would have resulted in a first down. So he's just going to have to make better decisions. And if he makes better decisions in the pass game, and the read game and gets the ball out on the perimeter and has success on the perimeter, that's going to force Georgia to have to spread out a little bit more, which then opens up some creases in the run lane. But so far, Ian hasn't made those good decisions. That's forced teams to, to stop doing what they've been able to do to, to keep Notre Dame from being able to run the ball more effectively between the tackles. So it's only two games in, obviously not time to panic quite yet, but 
the running game certainly is not working like it did as it did when Dexter Williams came in last year. Is it as just simple as Dexter Williams is no longer there or what's been missing uh, from the, the running game without those home runs being uh, coming on fast and furious like they were? No, that's not it. I mean, number one, they ran for 230 yards in the opener. You know, Tony Jones had 110 yards on 15 carries, you know, had a 35-yard gain, had a lot of other chunk runs. I think, number one, Notre Dame didn't really try to run the ball against New Mexico. I mean, you, you break down the game, a lot of the, the rush attempts they did have came when the game was in doubt. They were working on throwing the football. I think the other thing you look at is New Mexico did a lot of things that said, basically, you're not going to run the ball on us. And I think Notre Dame should be able to impose its will in those situations. But one of the things that they chose to do, and if you go back and look at the film, you know, whenever they – so they ran a what's called a buck sweep where both guards kind of drop and pull in one direction. It's an outside run. Notre Dame's had a lot of success with it the last two years. So whenever their guards would open and pull, New Mexico would just fly to the ball. And so Notre Dame had a couple negative gains in the first quarter. So what they did was they ran the fake the buck sweep and then ran just a jet in the opposite direction, and that's how they got two of their 50-plus-yard touchdowns. So, yes, the running stats weren't pretty, but those two 50-plus-yard gains were made because of how New Mexico was defending them in the run game. So, I mean, those are some of those hidden numbers that sometimes you got to look at and say, okay, maybe the run numbers weren't as ugly as it, as it is. And the other thing, I, you know, people are concerned, but, you know, you look through two games, Notre Dame is averaging 190 yards rushing per game, you know, about 193-and-a-half. Last year after two games, let's not forget, they were coming off after game two of rushing for 117 yards against Ball State. The next two weeks, they ran for 245 and 241 yards without Dexter Williams. So it's just about cleaning things up. It's about being more assignment correct and the quarterback making better decisions. And then you'll start to see more success in the run game. Just wanted to ask you about that. Exactly the the guy we asked you about a month or so ago when we had you on here in previewing Notre Dame's year. Ian Book, you look at his stat line, six touchdowns, 553 yards in two games, and it looks like, wow, he looks the part, must be having a great season. But then the eye test is another thing. What have you seen from Ian Book so far? You know, I think Ian, when he settles down and plays within the system, has been good. And I think that it, against Louisville, he was rushing. He was kind of locked in on Chase Claypool a lot. He wasn't going this through his progressions. And as soon as he didn't like what he, he was looking at, he'd take off and run. I mean, you could go watch the film, and you can see his head going left and right, left and right really fast. If a quarterback's looking left, looking left and right, then left and right in a play on the same play, that means he's not going through his progressions. That means he's rushing and he's, I don't say panicking a little bit, but I don't know a better word uh, that, than that to use. And I think he, he did some of the same things early against New Mexico. Middle of the second quarter, you started to see him settle down. He had two really good throws in the first half where he got drilled as he was letting the ball go. One was on a post route to Chase Claypool. Another was on a really nicely placed corner route uh, to, to Tommy Trumbull. And you started to see him stay in the pocket, play with more poise, and go – get the ball out. And I think one thing that helped Ian in that game was you saw Javon McKinley step up and make a huge play. You know, Lawrence Keyes has made a couple big plays. Tommy Tremble's making more plays. Avery Davis made a play. And I think what that did was it settled Ian down and it said, Hey, listen, I don't have to make a, you know, a, a game winning, you know, John Elway type throw every time the ball snaps. I don't have to lock in on Chase Claypool every time that we need a big play. I can, call, I can go through my progressions and I can get the ball out to whoever needs to get the ball. 
And I think the young players stepping up and making those plays is giving him more confidence. And that's why I thought that really the late second half and then early third, third quarter, we started to see the EM book that we saw last year when he was really good. Now he just needs to build on that and carry that into Athens this weekend. Because if he doesn't play well, I don't think they have a chance this weekend. What, how does this game compare for Notre Dame fans? I mean, every week's a big week for everyone else when they play for Notre Dame. But for the fans, I, I, Georgia fans are insane right now. The ticket prices are at all-time levels. But for the Irish, going to Georgia, where does this rank compare to some of the other big, massive games that the program has played recently? You know, I, I think this stacks up with the 2014 Florida State game. Uh, and, the, and, the, and I think when you look at that game, remember Florida State was coming off. They had just won the national championship the season before. They were undefeated again. They had Jameis Winston, a quarterback. Uh, Notre Dame was undefeated at the time that year. It was a battle of top ten teams, and, and it was a barn burner. Went down to the very end. Notre Dame scored a touchdown with seconds left, got called back, and they ended up losing by four. But, you know, I, look, Notre Dame's been here before. You know, they went on the road in, against Oklahoma back in 2012 and came away with a W. They played Florida State, didn't get the win. They played Clemson a year later. Eventually they ran. They were the national runner-up, and they took them down to the wire, had a chance to tie it with two seconds left. So, this is this is why you come to Notre Dame, right? And this is it's for games like this. I think what makes this game a little bit different for Notre Dame fans, not so much the players and coaches, but for the fans is it's an SEC school, uh, and Notre Dame doesn't get to play SEC schools a lot because normally SEC schools won't won't do home and homes with Northern teams. Georgia's one of those teams that's not as uh, afraid to to travel and schedule like in Alabama, for example. So you know, I think this is a rare thing for Notre Dame fans, but I also think. For, for Notre Dame fans, it's you beat an ACC school that's really good or a Big Ten team that's really good or a Pac-12 team that's really good, that's great and it's good for your program, but it's not like beating an SEC school. And if you talk to people you know, nationally and they look at oh, you know, those big games that Notre Dame had against LSU, LSU's not even the top ten of teams that Notre Dame has beaten in the last five years. But the perception, because it's an SEC school, is like those were huge wins. Well, that was a 9-4 LSU team that they beat two years ago down in Florida. So I think that's the big thing is to go on the road and beat an SEC team that's really good and perception is they're really good and Notre Dame doesn't have a chance and they shouldn't even be on the field and all this other nonsense. It's going to give Notre Dame fans a sense of bragging rights that they haven't had really in almost 30 years. Looking at college football right now, it feels like it's in tears. Bama and Clemson are their own thing, whether it's Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, is Notre Dame in that conversation? I guess LSU is probably in that conversation after what they did in Texas the other night. Like, how do the tiers kind of play out for you right now? Well, we've talked a lot about this on our show. That's actually a really good question. You know, and, and Ohio State was in that tier one, in my opinion, until Urban Meyer left. You know, they had won a national championship. They had beaten Alabama. Other than Clemson, that was the only team that has really been competitive against Alabama in the postseason. So, you know, they were in there. They're kind of out, but they're right on that cusp. George is on that cusp. Uh, Oklahoma's on that cusp. But those teams are, to me, on a very similar level to Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame has beat some of the teams that you discussed. Notre Dame has gone toe-to-toe with some of the teams that you discussed, you know, and uh, they have a playoff first. They have two undefeated seasons in the last six years. So, you know, Notre Dame is right now jockeying for position in that second tier. Uh, right now, I'd put them behind Georgia for two reasons, because, number one, Georgia has won an SEC championship, and number two, Georgia's won a playoff game. Uh, I don't put Notre Dame behind Oklahoma, per se. I know Oklahoma is sexy, uh, but the reality is, is Oklahoma hasn't won a playoff game yet either. 
they haven't been overly competitive in all except the Georgia game. Uh, and, and I don't have, you know, I think their league is competitive, but, you know, I think Notre Dame is, is right there on that level with Oklahoma. Behind them, I, you know, I don't put LSU in that group because LSU hasn't won an SEC championship. LSU hasn't even played for an SEC championship in several years, and they're 0-2 against Notre Dame. So the, the win over Texas was big, and I actually have LSU as my, my playoff uh, predictor from the, from the uh, SEC. I actually made that pick before the season. So I think they have a chance to get there, but I think Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, for me right now, are the four teams kind of jockeying for position in that second tier. I'm still in a bad mood that you brought up that pick play that Notre Dame got called back on or got nailed for because that's the exact play that Clemson ran against Alabama with Hunter Renfro and won the national championship that didn't get called and Al- and Notre Dame got flagged for it. But I digress. Uh, but for, you're right. For this Thanks, year, Pete. though. You just wanted to uh, put salt I'm, in my wound that's five years old, didn't you? I'm, I'm still mad about both of those plays. Anyway, to your point, for, for this year – and, and, like, Nick brought up the idea of tiers. And, yeah, okay, like, by your logic, I mean, you're kind of glossing over Oklahoma pretty, a little bit better than you think with three playoff appearances. But th- that's at a tier of programs of just overall, where I think Notre Dame's probably there in that tier of overall next-level programs. But for this particular season, if they, like, there's the six teams up top that are just killing everyone right now. And then it seems like, like Nick said, there's, like, a little bit of a gap. So if Notre Dame wins this, though, if they go into, like you said, the difference between an SEC school is, yeah, you're right, LSU a couple years ago might have been 9-4, but they lost to all those big SEC schools. If Notre Dame wins this, and then you look ahead, if they're good enough to beat Georgia at Georgia, they're good enough to beat Michigan at Michigan, and the rest of that schedule doesn't look so bad, and now they elevate to that part. Is it crazy to start to think that this is it? You win this game, and now we're starting to talk about Notre Dame again being in that national championship, uh, at least the college football playoff tier. Yeah, I kind of reject your, your premise a couple things. Number one is I'm not saying Oklahoma's not a great program. I just said they're jockeying for position in that group. But what I'm saying is sure. they keep losing when they get to the playoffs. They're in a league that's not as deep as the SEC or you know what people perceive to be the Big Ten. So to me, until they actually win one of those games, they're right there in the same place with Notre Dame. Regarding LSU, the year that Notre Dame beat LSU two years ago, they beat a top-10 Auburn team that went on to beat Alabama. So though they did not lose to all the good teams. They beat Florida on the road that year. So, uh, you know, I mean, look, Notre Dame also went toe-to-toe with Georgia just two years ago. So, yeah, I think Notre Dame absolutely belongs to be in that conversation. Now, here's the, here's the deal, though. What we've called Notre Dame at BGI the last couple of years is they're an almost program. They're almost on the level where they should be. They almost won a championship in 2012, went 12 and 0, got to the got to the dance, and then got smacked. They almost beat Florida State in 2014. They almost beat Clemson in 2015. They almost beat Georgia in 2017. Got to the playoffs again last year. So. The reality is, is until Notre Dame can actually win one of these games, their status doesn't change. So if they go down to Georgia and, and play a really hard-fought competitive game and lose, their status doesn't change. Been there, done that. They have to win one of those games. And I believe that a win in that kind of game changes Notre Dame's program internally and externally. Obviously, it changes the perception of Notre Dame. But I think inside the program, which is more important to your point, is it lets them know, hey, you are good enough to beat anyone. 
And I think when you look at Clemson in 2015, their ability to go toe-to-toe with, Clint, with Alabama and, and, and then lose gave them a certain level of confidence. But then when they came out and beat Alabama the next year, that team has played with a completely different swagger ever since then because they were able to knock off one of the big dogs. And I think Notre Dame needs that for this program internally and externally to really buy into the idea that they are, in fact, an elite football team. Do you, do you think the kids actually care about that stuff, though? I, I think we kind of think about that. I know as a coaching staff and kind of a mindset that becomes part of it. I, I'm sort of always been kind of a believer is in, in that these are 18 to 22 year old kids, and that you're only as good as you know. It's like the baseball uh, theory that you're only as good as your next day starter. That yeah, that that looks good a few years ago, but basically the kids are out there just playing. It's just really about the talent level, and this year. It does if we if they can beat Georgia, then all of a sudden it looks like Notre Dame's got that talent level. I think it matters because look, you're you're assuming that the kids. And I understand where you're coming from, but you know, as a, a former player and former coach, they they think about that stuff. And and if they don't think about it, the media makes sure that they think about it when they're in Tuesday press conferences and they're in post game press conferences. They're reminded of what they haven't done as a program. And these kids are on Twitter all the time, and I, I've tried to convince some of them, like, get off Twitter. Like, if, you, if it bothers you what people say, don't read it. But they, they do. They're on Twitter. They have people say it. They, they're on campus. People on campus say those things. So they're very aware of the fact that Notre Dame has come up short in these type of situations. And, you know, how they handle it is going to determine whether they go down to Georgia, play with a chip on their shoulder, you know, play with like a we're tired of being disrespected or the flip side of that is they go down there and play tight, that all the pressure comes from it. So it'd be nice to feel like they're insulated from all that stuff, but they're really not. Uh, it, it, that stuff is very well known. And, and I know for a fact that the players have been talking about, you know, wanting to prove the nation wrong really ever since the Cotton Bowl. And uh, this is their chance to do it. Fair or not, if they play like they did two years ago, let's say they play Georgia tough, and this Georgia team turns out to be that good again, is 11-1, are they still, I know in theory they should be, but in reality we know how the college football playoff thing works. Can they be 11-1 and and really be in the college football playoff uh, contention, or does is it really a matter of you just got to go 12-0 and if you're Notre Dame because of the, the whole no conference championship thing and because we know if the Power 5 conference champions each have viable options, they just that they're probably not going to get in at 11-1? and See, I think that's a media creation. And the reason I believe that is you look at what the committee has done. In 2015, Notre Dame was in the top four with a loss to Clemson, right? No, no Power 5 affiliation. They were in the top four. If Notre Dame beats uh, Stanford at the end of the year and blows out BC and then blows out Wake Forest like they should have, you don't think they get in over Michigan State? Of course they would have. Same thing in 2017. Notre Dame, with the loss to Clemson, had climbed all the way up to number three in the polls. If they beat top 10 Miami on the road and then beat a top 25 Stanford team on the road, they're absolutely getting in. The committee has not acted in the way that the people in the media think that they should. We saw it in 2017 with Alabama getting in over a Big Ten champ and and over another conference champ. So we had two SEC teams. We saw it in 2016 when Penn State won the Big Ten, but Ohio State still got in with one loss, and they lost to Penn State. 
right? So the committee does not look at the conference championship the way that the media does, the way that you know the media felt that Georgia should have been in last year for whatever reason, and Ohio State should have been in because of the because of this, that, and the other. The media look or the the committee has shown that they're going to look at the body of work. And they're going to look at the quality of the teams. But they do. And, have, they look um, at the one. One. One thing about that though is they do have their proprietary stats. And at the end of the day, twelve and one does sort of matter in how they. They don't care about the polls. It, like but the, it, the, but again, the polls don't matter. But the, the that's a factor in what the they look resume. at. Because here's the deal. Like for example, let's just say that at the end of the year, Alabama's twelve and one, and they're going in against an eleven. An eleven one. Let's say you know Ohio State goes eleven and one and doesn't make the Big Ten championship for whatever reason, right? So you got to look at Alabama's record and you say, okay, are you really going to count the Western Carolina win as a twelfth data point, right? You know, and, and that's the thing that we've seen. They don't. They look at those kind of things. You know, they're going to take that into account. So there's a lot of things that we in the media have created as as criteria that I don't think the committee looks at. And we've seen it in the last couple of years when you look at how dominant Ohio State was at times last year. And a lot of people making a case based on how badly they beat Michigan that they were going to jump certain teams, and that didn't happen, right? And so I think they're going to look at the entire body of work. And when you say 12-1 and versus 11-1, that has zero context, right? They're going to look at 12-1 and and say, okay, well, no, no, twelve and one. Well, over, to be fair, you know, we know, but well, we know at this point that that Ohio State last year was the only twelve and one Power Five champ not to get in, and that's only because, because Notre Dame was, was undefeated. Such a yeah, exactly. Right. So that that's what? kind of the so problem. Notre if there's Dame a twelve and one, so basically eleven and one Notre Dame cannot get in over a twelve and one Power Five champ, at least according you, you to what history has been done. Well, because what history? What year has Notre Dame been 11-1 and at the end of the regular season? What I'm telling you is what we do know for a fact is that twice Notre Dame got into the top four in November with a loss. Twice. So arbitrarily you're telling me they're just going to drop them out because they all of a sudden realize that they're not in a conference? You know, so like a, an SEC team, for example, is going to knock Notre Dame out of the top four because yes. the week before rivalry week they're all yes. playing – FCS opponents. What I'm saying is, is this is a much more complex uh, point of data than what we in the media like to make it out to be, where we say conference champion who had more. Well, that, that's also no, part of their criteria. Their, their criteria is conference champions. That's for, what not they to claim, believe, but, but it's not. It no, but it's in there. It's, it's in their thing. It's, it does say it's I've been through the it process. It says it, but they don't follow again, through with it. Exactly. Look at look at recent history. Look at the 2016 season when the Big Ten champ who yeah, beat but it had two losses. State it's it's one. It, so far we've known that right, it's a but it's one a loss. Conference that, champion, that, that, right? You yeah, but that's but they, that was a two-loss two conference ago, champion. Alabama it's, got in with one loss, right? They didn't even play in the conference championship, and they got it. So the whole point is, they're going to look at your entire body of work, correct? So you can hang your hat on the conference championship, but that's not what the committee has done. They are going to put the four best teams in the playoffs. And if Notre Dame goes on the road and beats Michigan, they go on the road and beat Stanford, and they beat USC and Virginia, all these yeah. other teams, summer quality. Summer. Yeah, that's not, you so, got to beat Georgia. They, you, 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 you can't. You can't. Finish my point. Or, sorry, go or ahead. You gonna let me finish my point? Okay. So the the fact of the matter is, if you look at the history of the playoffs, last year was the aberration. Last year you had three undefeated teams in the playoffs. In 2017, there were zero defeated teams in the playoffs right there were so it, it just depends there's so many other things that factor in and the, the fact of the matter is is if you
you have a one-loss conference champion, you've got to be able to look at their data and say, yes, they're 12-1, and but who did they beat? How many teams did they beat? Did they win away from home? Did they win at home? How does their data stack up against a team like Notre Dame? Or, I think more likely, a, a second major conference team that has one loss that didn't play for the championship. Because it's not just a Notre Dame versus conference champion, as we've seen in recent seasons. It's an Alabama that doesn't play for the SEC title. It's an Ohio State that doesn't play for the Big Ten title. And so I think there's a lot more that goes into it. And as the committee has shown, conference championship is not as important as people in the media like to say it is. It just isn't based on what they've done. So you've been around this team, you've been around this coaching staff and seen them for throughout the summer and years before this. Which team do you think shows up on Saturday night? Is the is it the one that plays tight and gets their doors blown off, or is it the one that shows up like in 2014 at Florida State that really should have walked out with a victory that night that looked a team that hadn't lost in a year and a half in the eye, went punch for punch, blow for blow with them, and should have walked out with a win? Which one do you kind of see to get the feel that's going to show up for the Fighting Irish on Saturday night? You know, honestly, I, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I, I'm not really sure what. I think if you looked in recent history, it's been up and down. You know, like you said, Florida State, Notre Dame came out immediately, and it was a toe-to-toe battle. A year later against Clemson, they spot Clemson 14 points in the first two drives, and then they had to spend the whole game going back and forth. You know, and then, of course, in 2017 against Miami, they just came out and laid an egg. So we've seen the whole spectrum. Uh, I think this team has the maturity to where I think they're going to come in and be competitive. But I, I really believe it, it. I'm a big believer in momentum. And I think momentum is especially effective uh, or damaging when you're on the road. If you come out against a team like Georgia and you take that first drive down the field and put it in the end zone, it's going to be a game. If you come out, go three and out, Georgia goes right down the field, you turn the ball over, Georgia punches it in, it's going to be a route. So no matter how locked in Notre Dame was to start the game. So to me, it's not, I think they're going to be locked in. I think they're going to be focused, but are they going to execute? That to me is where the unknown comes for me. It's great stuff as always. We love having you on because we can press buttons, can press each other's buttons at the end of the day. It's a lot of fun college football conversations. Good Brian. luck this week. Beat the, go, go have some fun. Beat, beat the SEC team. Make this thing crazy. Make, that, make the media all crazy about this. You know, the fun thing about the job that I do is I travel to all these Notre Dame games, so I get to go to Florida State and Clemson and Georgia. And and as a college football fan, those experiences are really worth it. Win or lose, you know, being at the Notre Dame-Michigan game in 2011, yeah, it didn't work out for Notre Dame, but, you know, it was the first night game in Michigan Stadium history. It was the biggest crowd in college football history. How could you not enjoy that experience? And that's what I'm looking forward to this weekend, win or lose. Uh, But certainly if Notre Dame wins, it's going to make my job uh, a lot more fun, at least for the next week until they got to go defend Bryce Perkins. All right, I haven't gotten to travel like I would like to college football-wise. Best uh, best venue that's not Notre Dame Stadium that you've been sent to? Uh, you know, Clemson was a blast. I just, just when you walk it, when you park, we're way, they parked us way far away from where the stadium is, and there's just orange and purple tents all over. There's people tailgating. The, fr- the fans were really classy and respectful. All the, the trash talking I heard was fun and good-natured. The student body there was amazing just the whole environment the experience of you know the rock and the bus trip and all that kind of stuff and then of course it was an epic game between two excellent teams so so far that's been really my my most fun experience because of the tradition but also because of how the fans conduct themselves and so that's why you'll never hear me talk about a trip to ann arbor or columbus is the top of my list because (laughs) you've got to deal with the people 
that are around those two programs. But and by about a thousand miles, having gone to Wisconsin, I have I can I can say this. I know what good smells are. There is not a better smelling group of tailgaters in terms of food that they they make and everything they do. That Clemson crowd does it up huge. It's just the the they array of just different you know, things that they're ba- baking and yeah. barbecuing and roasting. Yeah. It's just an amazing, amazing uh, environment. I enjoyed that very much. I enjoyed that, that group very much. Brian, appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy Athens, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you before too long. Later, Brian. Sounds good. Th- thanks for having me on, guys. Fun stuff with Brian Driscoll. Always animated. Enjoy. He likes his Notre Dame. He does. and he Good for him. It, damn right good you for him. You have to if you're Blue Gold Illustrated. So for you, Clemson, what's the, we talked to him about best experience. What's your best experience, college football boy, where you've uh, been, I, games I, you've covered? I've tweeted out a million times, I literally could have tackled Devontae Smith as he ran in front of me to win the national championship uh, in overtime uh, at the uh, two years ago, uh, the Tua to Devonta Smith play. Uh, that's probably it just because he literally ran right in front of me as it happened. Uh, I was right there for that. I was in the end zone for the Jameis Winston uh, pass to Kelvin Benjamin for the national championship over Auburn. I'm, I'm seriously uh, you know, not even humble bragging at this point. Uh, but that, that's where <laughs> the, being part of the college football playoff thing's been fun. It, being right there for it, it's, it's so surreal. It's so much fun. Uh, but those have been the best overall atmospheres. Yeah, mine have not come as a media member. The games I've covered as a media member mostly have ended in blowouts, but as a fan, the most exciting and the one I think I'll always remember being at the Bush Push game in 2005. That's it. Okay, Day that's see, that, you, you answer a question to get off topic here before we dive in. Is the the resume where which games have you been? I was at six and seven of the World Series, 91 World Series. I saw the Jack Morris game, the Kirby Puckett game when Minnesota uh, took out St. Louis. Uh, I'm sorry, Atlanta. Was that yeah. the other one too? It was 87, uh, six and seven. But which resume games are up there? That would be one of them. The Bush Push game is absolutely a top line resume game. That it's an all timer of a of a game as you've ever seen in college football. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, and it was the second best game that USC played in that year. <laughs> that's uh, a, a crazy yeah. Part. After, after the Rose Bowl, that although you know what, if you remember that Fresno State game, well, that was, was the Reggie serious. Bush going absolutely that, bonkers game, and he had to because they mm-hmm. were down like fifty to three. So that that was a fun year for that team. Oh God, yeah. And then the way that it ended, that was on ESPN Classic a few nights ago when I was up late and I watched through it, and I'm like, God, Pete Carroll, you have a thing for the big moment and just. Doing awfully dumb decision making. It was so much more than just not having Reggie Bush on the field on that fourth down. But you didn't come in here to listen to. That's not why you thought. called. We can cover that sometime in March when there's. We're nothing gonna do else the going give on. Reggie Bush's Heisman podcast special edition podcast another time. Yeah, we will do that and get Reggie Bush's Heisman back, and then we will take it away from him and give it to Vince Young. But instead, we're gonna do the Power Five this week a little bit differently. Five teams who aren't getting the love that they deserve. We'll start in the ACC. And I'd love to find some competition for this, but after what they did last week, jumping out to a big lead and holding on for dear life to to walk away with a win, find me a team in the ACC that's not getting the love that they deserve. That uh, kind of has the resume that Wake Forest has. It's kind of fun, you know. And there, it's 
Dave Clawson's been doing a great job with this program to get – it's Wake Forest. They have – if it's not the lowest enrollment of any of the uh, Division I uh, FCS schools – I'm sorry, FBS schools, it's right there with Rice. I mean, there's just no student body there. It's not like it's you can do in basketball. We can just get 12 guys. It, they have done wonders at that program, and it's a fun team. The offense is a blast, uh, and they've been great so far. However, the weird part about last week's win over North Carolina, it's not an ACC win. That was technically yeah, a so non-conference bizarre. win, so they don't even get credit in the ACC for that, but that offense has been the real deal so far. Yeah, it has been. I've been very surprised by that. Like, I knew it was a fun and wacky offense. I didn't know it was a good offense, and I was surprised. I had North Carolina last week winning that game, and Wake Forest, hey, I mean, not to say they're going to be any great shakes, but it's going to be a bowl-worthy team here in a few weeks. I am, I'm almost certain. So is every other team in the ACC except for maybe Florida State. It's a, it's a weird conference oh, this year. Oh, boy. Yeah, that Florida State thing that you keep trying to pick each they're and every gonna week. They're going to be fine yeah, in just two the, years. Right, when Willie Taggart's out being an analyst on college game day or on ESPN in some capacity, and they bring in Mike Stoops or something else. Uh, Big 12-wise, TCU goes on the road, gets a big win at Purdue, shut down the Purdue offense. They looked anemic in that game. Kansas State as well. Didn't think they had a snowball's chance in hell going into Mississippi State and getting a win. Both of them walk out victorious. Pretty impressive showing, I thought. Uh, if you take away Iowa State's debacle at home against Iowa, pretty impressive week for the Big 12. And they only lost by one, so it's not like, yeah, I mean, Kansas, what the hell? Oh, my I mean, that, goodness. <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, that this was a great overall week for the conference. And, yeah, Kansas State, the formula's right. Under Chris Kleiman, who's basically at North Dakota State, did what Kansas State always wanted to do and always tried to do when it was at its best under Bill Snyder. He's been able to bring in uh, that formula, and it's working great. The, uh, the offense is clicking. The defense is doing just enough. They're controlling games, controlling the clock. That was a terrific performance. Performance. And for TCU, I, I had them in the beginning of the season as like like third best team in the Big 12. I thought that was the team that could kind of sneak in there and maybe play Oklahoma for the Big 12 championship. But to do the defense is certainly right there. They've got to be able to complete half their passes. They cannot complete a forward pass, and they still dominated Purdue. That part was very true in that game. I could not believe how bad Purdue's offense looked. I get it. You have quarterback issues and health issues there. But you had an offensive line that looked like it had no interest in blocking anything. Rondell Moore wasn't allowed to be Rondell Moore whatsoever in it. And it's all of a sudden that the, the Brian Brom thing that was so great a year ago, all of a, you're looking and you're like, oh, okay. Well, it's nice yeah, that he, he stuck well, around, but he might not be the boy wonder that we thought he was. Well, he is. I, I still think I, if Cliff Kingsbury could get that job at Arizona Cardinals, that's what Ryan Brom should get. He, he's a pro coach who just so happens to be at Purdue. And he can't get wait to get out of West Lafayette once the pros started calling. But I guess he couldn't. He waited to go to. He, the he stayed. He yeah, loves you're it right there. about that part. He's a Purdue uh, guy. Big Ten wise, Minnesota it used to be the cardiac cats in the Big Ten and Northwestern coming down to the last play week after week after week. That Minnesota thing, it might not be the best brand I told of football, you. but it's every damn week. It's in the last possession of the game things are being decided in. I told you, because if you look at their schedule, they are going to be, that Paul Bunyan Axe game against Wisconsin at the end of the year is going to be for the Big Ten West. And it, it last year, was, it was a game that Minnesota won, even though it was two weeks after they got obliterated by Illinois. But 
Minnesota's been that so far where it's just they find ways to win. It's not Except what they don't do is they have not figured out that they have a Big Ten offensive line until they absolutely have to. It's the most maddening thing that they cannot pound away. And then all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute here. We have a Big Ten offensive line. We're going to blast away now on you, Fresno State and Georgia Southern and uh, just kind of nail them with that running game, but not until way too late in the game. Otherwise, looking around that part of the conference, looking part that part of the Big Ten, I was very disappointed in that Michigan State thing. I knew Arizona State They'll had They'll be fine. Still, don't, don't, do not jump off your Michigan State call yet. They're still fine. They can still win the East. You're right. They could. And I still think that that defense is good enough to upset either an Ohio State or a Michigan. That defense is not going anywhere. It's just, my God, the offense has to improve at some point. I, I think playing... the, I, I, again, I think that's an Arizona State defensive thing more than a Michigan State offensive thing. You're, it, again, I, I'd stay, I, I'm, stay with it. Penn State's looking a little rocky. Michigan can be beaten by this. And all right, you beat Ohio State in the right day, absolutely, with this defense. Okay, Pac-12, I know we've been on them and hammered them a good amount because of not being able to win the big games. And uh, Utah is the only team out there that looks like they have a – a shot at the college football playoff. I guess Arizona State by technicality right now, too. But surprising, Cal, a team that we spoke almost nothing about preseason, all of a sudden 3-0. and Washington State sitting at 2-0 uh, as well after going out and getting the win on the road against Houston this week. A little bit of competition for Oregon and Washington from uh, places maybe they weren't expecting in the, in the Pac-12 North this year. I still think Oregon is has the shot to go 12-1 and one and get in the college football playoff. Uh, but Washington State is an underappreciated team, mainly because no one appreciates the defense. It's all about the, the offense. It's all about what Gardner Minshew did last year and Anthony Gordon's doing this year and what Mike Leach does with this offense. But that defense is is good enough where it can hold serve so they that passing game can do its thing and they've got their formula it all works and with Stanford having problems and Oregon getting beaten already like you said and Washington Oregon State forget about there Washington State's gonna be right there in the mix for the Pac-12 North and Cal that defense is it's they basically turned into Michigan State they have no offense but that D can stop just about anything finally the SEC it's a conference that uh, I, I keep looking at the SEC East, and yes, Georgia, there's nothing underappreciated about this conference. By the way, the SEC East is a different conference than the SEC West. That part is great. That part Florida's is fine. Good. That part. I'm going to convince you before LSU's the end of the year. Florida's nice. fine. Alabama's obviously nice. The SEC West is the SEC West as we've come to know it. The SEC East is Georgia, and it's a bunch of ACC teams. Florida is a fraud. They got gifted a win by SEC officials this past week. That was one of the most egregious and bullish calls I have ever seen in my life. Kentucky should have won that. The ejection on the defensive tackle for Kentucky was pathetic. There should be an apology note that goes out from the SEC officials, from the conference to the University of Kentucky. That was thing was so anemic. It's a conference that I look at. Florida's going to lose to Missouri this year. I don't care what wow. Mizzou did against Wyoming earlier this season. Lost them last year. I, yes, exactly. And they've looked no damn good along the way so far this year. That's, I guess, the team that is impressive, the one that maybe you're being under underappreciated of because of you look at, okay, that West Virginia win, maybe it was more convincing than uh, we thought two weeks ago when it happened. 
But Missouri, I'm looking back on that bad wagon. Well, you lose the, when you lose to Wyoming to start the season. It's not a good look. Uh, it's the a, elevation it's a, thing. I'll find my excuses. They for had Missouri. two big run plays. It's it's a it's a it was a weird it's a weird season for Mizzou because they they're getting hammered very fairly by the NCAA, so they can't even go to a bowl. Uh, I still think as the season progresses, lone wolf on this and believing that Kelly Bryant is a potential good pro prospect just because he's got the tools. He just needs the consistency, but. Again, I'm the only person in America who believes this. Their defense is going to get a little better. It's an explosive team, and that's going to be one of those teams that just annoys the heck out of everybody, especially in an SEC East that, like you said, is pretty much trash outside of Georgia, even though I like Florida a lot better than you do. Yeah, that Wyoming loss is its weird, and I have a feeling we're going to look back on it at the end of the year and be like, wait, that happened, didn't it? What? Week one went all week one, basically, is what happened. Yeah, but tell me where I'm supposed to be scared if if I follow the Missouri Tigers. Home against South Carolina, home yeah. against Troy. I know they beat LSU a couple years ago, but yeah. home against Troy, home against Ole Miss, at Vanderbilt, no. at no. Kentucky, playing with their backup Fine. quarterback, at Georgia, that's an issue. All home right. against Florida, who they knocked the socks off of a season ago, and I'm not impressed by. I know that you're wow. you're higher on Florida than I am, but home against Tennessee and at Arkansas. This is going to yeah. be a nine-win team at very worst at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, no Alabama, no LSU, no Texas A&M. That's pretty good. If you're missing three big boys this year from the West, you're doing all right. Uh, yeah, and they could watch them. They win the SEC East, and they can't even go play for the SEC Championship. <laughs> that would be absolutely awful for any Missouri backer that's out there. He's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. It's College Football News Podcast. Enjoy Week 4. We'll be back next week to recap it and look ahead to week five on the College Football News Podcast.